lawmakers are eight days away from the statutory limit on the legislative session, and yesterday the House passed an operating budget. Will the House and Senate now be able to wrangle a finalized budget in the next week? And beyond the operating budget, there isn't yet a capital budget plan or a decision on the dividend or future spending from permanent fund earnings. We'll discuss different ideas for the state's fiscal future today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. AlaskaUSA.org. This message sponsored by Alaska USA. Prescription opioids can be addictive and dangerous, especially when not used as prescribed. If you or someone you know is struggling with prescription opioids, there is hope. Recovery is possible. To hear real stories of recovery or for resources to begin the journey to healing, visit opioids.alaska.gov or contact your local health provider. This message sponsored by Alaska's Department of Health and Social Services and the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. It's become a familiar fight over the last several years. Less revenue from declining oil and other pots of money means government leaders have to cut budget items popular with their constituents, find new revenue streams, and try to settle on a permanent fund dividend amount that will satisfy Alaskans while not depleting the earnings reserve. Would the constitutional amendments Governor Dunleavy has put forward fix the annual budget fight? One would guarantee the yearly PFD amount, a second would require Alaskans to vote on any new taxes, and a third would put a cap on state spending. Would a majority of Alaskans vote to tax themselves? Should the dividend be guaranteed? Here today to discuss and debate the best plan for the future is Representative Ivy Sponholtz, a Democrat from Anchorage. Hello. Hi. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being on. We're hoping to be joined by... Senator Mike Schauer, a Republican from Wasilla, shortly. He is currently speaking with the governor. We may not be able to hear from him. Later in the program, we'll be joined by Ian Lang with the Institute of the North and Juanita Ayers with Commonwealth North. You can also join our conversation. What do you think lawmakers and the Dunleavy administration should do to help close the gap between revenue and spending? Do you think that there should be more cuts, new taxes? Should there be changes to the permanent fund dividend? Call us statewide. The number is 1-800-478-8255, 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So, Representative Sponholtz, let's start with what you think are must-haves for you um, in this budget negotiations with the Senate. Give us your thoughts on the plan that was passed yesterday. 
Well, the the operating budget that the House passed essentially was a flat budget of $4.2 billion. Uh, There were modest cuts in some areas and modest increases in things like domestic violence and programming and and pre-K that are important and evidence-based. We used uh, about $700 million of American Rescue Plan Act funds uh, that we expect from the federal government. We just got some new guidance yesterday. Um, the state of Alaska will likely be able to use about $500 uh, million this year and $500 million next year. And so we're going to need to make some tweaks. But I think, you know, by and large, the budget that we passed last year, I mean, uh, last night is, uh, is, a, is a good, solid budget. We expect the Senate to have some modest changes um, but I don't expect there to be a lot of controversy about the size of the budget. Um, and I think we've had very collegial relations with, relations with the Senate and negotiations so far. And so it's you had expected to be able to spend half of the billion. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm sorry, you expected to, to get the, the full billion and then found out that you're going to get half this year, half next year. How difficult is it going? $200 million is a lot. How difficult is it going to be to figure that piece of it out now? Well, I think that that underscores, you know, the necessity of passing a fiscal plan and not waiting any longer, Lori. And uh, that's something that, you know, I've been working on as the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee this year. We continue to have a structural fiscal gap in the state of Alaska, Um it's you know it's over a billion dollars with you know a flat statu- with a flat dividend from last year, uh, and if we had a full statutory dividend, we would be over two billion dollars in deficit. So we really need to pass a fiscal plan. Um, the budget that we passed yesterday also didn't have a dividend in it, right? So that's that problem is still outstanding. If we're going to have a dividend, we're going to need to find a way to uh, to adopt uh, new revenue. If we do not do that. The risk is that we will overspend the permanent fund, uh, and that's a very dangerous, slippery slope that we don't want to go down. If we, For every billion dollars we spend out of the permanent fund, uh, rather than adopting new revenue, we lose about $65 million in interest earnings on that those funds in perpetuity moving forward, and we lose about $50 million in funding for state government. And given that the permanent fund now provides about 65% of our unrestricted revenue, We've now moved from really being an oil state to being an investment state in a lot of ways. It makes protecting that permanent fund incredibly important. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Representative Ivy Sponholtz is with us today. We had hoped to be joined by Senator Mike Schauer, who was supposed to be on with us. He is a Republican from Wasilla, but apparently Republican senators are in a meeting with the governor and able to join us. We will be joined at some point in the program by Ian Lang with the Institute of the North and Juanita Ayers with Commonwealth North to discuss their ideas for what they think the best way forward is. You can also join us. What do you think lawmakers in the Dunleavy administration should do to help close the gap between revenue and spending? Cuts, taxes, changes to the permanent fund dividend? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the number is 550 550-8422, 550-8422, or email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. 
Representative Sponholtz, uh, as you know, not everybody voted in favor of this plan. Big Lake Republican Kevin McCabe voted no on the House budget plan, saying it is unsound and that lawmakers should have followed more of the administration's recommendations. Nikiski Republican Representative Ben Carpenter also voted no. Here's what he had to say. I think we missed an opportunity to address our savings. We missed an opportunity to use the federal dollars to help us with making those structural changes. We missed the opportunity to help reduce our um, budget. So, Representative Sponholz, I'm not asking you to read Mr. Carpenter's mind and thinking here, but what did you hear from those who voted no, and what elements do you think have to be included? You spoke a little bit about this, but drill down a little more. For a fiscally stable future, Do we need new taxes, more cuts, a revised spending cap, a a fixed amount going forward for the permanent fund dividend? What where do you see some commonalities that maybe uh, lawmakers can come to consensus on around some of these ideas? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, what we have heard by now is that the public has seen enough cuts when the governor introduced you know, a, a budget that would have been a balanced budget with a uh, full statutory dividend in 2019. There was incredible pushback from the public uh, because of the cost of that. And I think, um, you know, that would have it would have gutted public education. It would have gutted higher education. It would have gutted uh, rural transportation and rural communities. And the public said that they just don't want that. And so, you know, We've cut about 40% of our uh, unrestricted uh, general fund revenue over the last 40 years and had commensurate cuts with that. We've had essentially no capital budget in many years. Our capital budget has just been just a skeletal budget for many years. And so the public has said that they're tired of cuts at this point in time. So I think that the cuts-only strategy is just off the table. Uh, We should always be looking for efficiencies. I absolutely believe that government should make the best use of dollars as possible, but but I think the cuts only solution is really off the table. I think that there is, um, you, you know, we really need to be looking at a comprehensive fiscal plan, uh, and that for me would include constitutionally protecting the permanent fund. A lot of people think the permanent fund is constitutionally protected. That's really only true for the corpus. Um, but there's another $17 billion in the earnings reserve account that could be spent with a simple majority vote. We spent $18 billion out of savings over the last you know, seven years because of Republican intransigence on our fiscal plan, on our fiscal situation. And if we don't protect the earnings reserve account, we risk spending it down the way we did the constitutional budget reserve and the state budget reserve. So we need to update the, the dividend formula. We frankly, if we can't afford a statutory dividend, we should be honest with ourselves and with the public about that. We need to update that formula. This year, a statutory dividend would be almost $3,500 and would cost us about two and a quarter billion dollars, which is more than we spend on health and public education in the state of Alaska. And if we paid that dividend amount and we didn't find new revenue, we would have only about $800 million for essential government services, services like teachers, troopers, and transportation that cost us about $4.2 billion. And then we need to balance the budget with new revenue. There are, uh, there are modest revenue measures that have been introduced that the legislature should consider. I think that there is, you know, a, a need to address the per barrel oil tax credit, and then there we could adopt a broad-based revenue measure, which would allow Alaskans to contribute to the welfare of our state, like they do in just about every other state in the nation.
Talk a little about um, when spending is, uh, when there's more spending out of the budget reserve, how that affects future spending for government. I think, you know, it's it's kind of difficult for some people to wrap their head around, well, it's the reserve, right? So we should be spending that money. Why is that problematic going forward if there's too much spent out of it? What happens? Uh, that's a great question. So we used to have about $17 billion in the constitutional budget reserve, and now we have less than $1 billion. And our you know, uh, financial analysts and, and cash managers with the state of Alaska say that we need you know, they used to say we needed a, mil- a, a minimum of a billion dollars in that for cash management, just like in your household budget. You need a little bit more in your checking account than uh, you spend every month uh, in, in, uh, in, in bills because sometimes your mortgage is due before your paycheck comes. The same is true for the state of Alaska. We need to make sure that we can, you know, manage our cash flow and make sure that we pay our obligations in a timely manner. We've now, you know, adjusted that down to about $500 million, given that we have only $800 million left, roughly, in the constitutional budget reserve at this point in time. We are perilously close to, you know, not being able to meet our obligations moving forward unless we adopt new revenue and pass a comprehensive fiscal plan that provides some fiscal certainty. And I just want to point out that there's one other risk to not solving our fiscal problem. That's really important that I think a lot of folks aren't considering, um, and that is that we have lost over 50,000 people in net out migration from the state of Alaska over the late last eight years. Fiscal instability in our state means that people are leaving and new people aren't coming. And so, you know, not resolving our fiscal problem is is costing us in terms of human capital in the state of Alaska. All right. Thank you. Uh, We are going to bring in Juanetta Ayers and Ian Lang here in just a moment. They're on the line and and can join us here momentarily. But um, Representative Sponholtz, I wanted to just have you clarify once again, we talked earlier about this, uh, about the federal money that's we're slated to get a billion dollars, but only half of it's coming this year. Describe why the money is being held up. Um, it's not really a punishment, but uh, why are we only getting half this year and half next year? Well, and, and to be clear, we're still waiting on sort of the final, final guidance. The, the guidance that was issued yesterday is initial guidance, uh, and it uh, it allows us to draw the full billion dollars down in one year if our unemployment rate is a few percentage point higher than it was prior to the pandemic, or half of that money this year if it's not, and half the next year if it's not. And so I just want to be really clear about that. We're still waiting on getting, you know, more specific details and our, you know, the folks at OMB and the folks at Legislative Finance are combing through the details right now just to, to make sure that we understand this in, in real detail. And actually, I think, you know, we the reason we passed the budget so late was that we were waiting for this guidance from the, for the, from the federal government. We decided we needed to move forward because if we didn't pass the budget, uh, you know, this week um, and work on it last week, then we wouldn't be able to, to meet our constitutional obligation to be done by day 120. And at this point in time, you know, we're so far behind as it is, it's it's possible that we even go into overtime just to make sure that we can make sure we pass a budget that's reasonable. 
Beyond the operating budget, where are negotiations currently on a capital plan? Where is there some consensus if you're finding it among House members? And where are the biggest sticking points? We haven't, as you noted, we haven't had a capital. It's been a kind of a skeleton budget plan for quite some time. Um, are you anticipating that there will be more put toward that this year? Well, you know, the capital budget is often, you know, in, in tight fiscal times, like we've been in for the last seven years, the capital budget is often sort of what's left over after paying for the operating budget. And so that's one of the big sticking points that we've been working on. And the reason that we haven't made more progress in the capital budget this year, we really need to understand the American Rescue Plan Act and how it's going to impact our budget. As I said, we're still working on getting the details on that. And so we're not clear on how much money is left over for uh, a capital budget this year. Um, I do want to point out that this federal government is working on an infrastructure bill, uh, the, uh, the JOBS Act that's being considered right now in Congress is going to create a lot of opportunity for capital for the state of Alaska, which I'm really excited about. Um, the JOBS Act is focused in on expanding, you know, uh, updating our infrastructure. We have a port of Alaska that needs some work. Uh, the marine highway system needs some capital work, broadband, and many other things that will be really good for Alaska. Rural water and sewer uh, can really be uh, advantaged by the JOBS Act. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for uh, really a large infusion of capital coming from the federal government this year. Representative Swanholtz, you said in an earlier interview that you think the constitutional amendment for a budget cap that the governor has proposed may be seen by some lawmakers as part of a trade or exchange for new revenue. Am I characterizing that correctly? Well, I think that, you know, I've heard from some of uh, my Republican colleagues that, you know, they're concerned that if we adopt a broad-based revenue measure, it's just going to be an opportunity for sort of unfettered spending. Now, I don't have the same concern because I think that when, you know, Alaskans are going to be contributing to the cost of government, they're going to have a stronger ownership stake in it. Uh, and, I, and I think that that is one of the things that puts, uh, you know, limits the growth of government in some respects. Um, but I think it's a reasonable conversation to have. We, uh, we have a constitutional spending cap that is so high we've never reached it, even in the highest oil price environments. That said, amending the Constitution with a spending cap, as the governor has proposed, is, uh, you know, it, it's something that we should be incredibly cautious about because we can't. You know, if we don't understand very clearly the implications of the choices that we're making, we don't really understand how the spending cap is going to work in practice. We run the risk of not being able to meet other constitutional obligations like the requirements to provide for the health, education and public safety of Alaskans. So I, I don't support amending the Constitution with a new spending cap. I do support updating our statutory spending cap. I think that it's reasonable for us to talk about what the growth of government should look like. And that's because in sometimes when we've had high oil prices, we've spent a lot of money on projects that I didn't think were maybe the best use of dollars. It felt like free money to a lot of people. And so we spent money on boondoggle projects throughout the state of Alaska. That said, we don't want to cap spending too small because it doesn't allow us to address our deferred maintenance uh, issues. And we have a $22 billion 
capital deficit in the state of Alaska. We have schools that need updated. We have uh, rural airports that need updated. We, the University of Alaska has capital needs. The state of Alaska has other capital needs that need to be addressed. Uh, and so we don't want to put too much pressure on, to downward pressure on the budget. We want to make sure that we allow for capital budgets and modest growth with population and inflation. If you stayed with a statutory uh, budget cap v- rather than a constitutional cap, would it then make it easier in a year that we had a big disaster, say, and needed to suddenly have to spend more money to help Alaskans? Would a constitutional limit make uh, lawmakers' jobs more difficult in a setting like that? Well, you know, most of the spending caps that have been introduced allow for exceptions due to uh, disasters. But the question is, what is a disaster? And we don't issue a disaster declaration for every disaster. We had a record fire season in twenty uh, in uh, twenty eighteen, I think it was, and um, and not every one of those fires was declared a disaster. But we saw a really large amount of firefighting expenses, and I think that's a a really great example of the kind of reason you want to be careful about you know, having too tight of a spending cap and too, and definitely not a tight constitutional spending cap because it, it doesn't allow us the flexibility to do what needs to be done to meet our obligations to make sure that Alaskans are safe. Another point that you raised earlier was that there uh, is a lot of discussion about following the law in reference to the permanent fund dividend, but less talk about following the law for other types of spending like schools and programs for elderly Alaskans. Talk a little bit about that. Your concern there? I think that that is, uh, you know, really, really important. You know, um, there are many other laws on the books that we don't currently fully fund. We don't fully fund the senior property tax reimbursement. We don't fully fund the Alaska Public Office uh, Commission. Uh, it's required to have an office in every Senate district. We don't uh, uh, fund the longevity bonus since it was line item vetoed by Governor Murkowski. Um, so there are a lot of laws that we are not currently funding. And all constitutionally, all laws in the state of Alaska are subject to appropriation. That means the law can be on the books, but we don't necessarily fund it until we pass a budget bill that, that funds it. And in 2017, in the Wilikowski lawsuit, uh, that was confirmed by the state Supreme Court that the PFD is subject to appropriation just like every other law on the books is. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, if we, shouldn't, if we can't afford a full statutory PFD, we really need to be honest with ourselves and with the public about it. And so we, we need to update the formula. But I think it's a, it's a good talking point to say follow the law. But in practice, we are, in fact, following the law. I will also just point out that every budget bill is a law. Um, and so uh, that's another interesting point for folks to consider. is the number statewide if you'd like to call and join our conversation today about the budget and the best way forward for Alaska's fiscal stability. 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk 
at alaskapublic.org. We have on the line right now Representative Ivy Sponholtz, who is a Democrat from Anchorage. And we had hoped to hear from Senator Mike Schauer, a Republican from Wasilla, but he is in a budget meeting with the governor, and so he cannot join us. We are going to bring on Ian Lang with the Institute of the North and Juanetta Ayers with Commonwealth North in just a moment. Um, but I just wanted to ask uh, one, a couple more questions here, Representative Sponholz. We had a, an email question, and I think this sort of gets at the heart of, of trying to understand how big some of these numbers are and how big um, uh, the task is of closing this gap. Here is an email from Charles in Fairbanks. He says, I think it's time to raise the alcohol tax. A large part of the public safety cost is due to events involving alcohol. Some will protest saying 10 cents more per drink at a bar will hurt business or 25 cents more for a six pack or a bottle of wine will hurt sales. But he says uh, he doesn't believe that. He says it's time to pay for what it is costing the state for um, alcohol infractions. Um, And he also says he supports increasing the fuel tax. So taking those two things, you know, um, not asking you to do all the math here and crunching the numbers on the fly, but just talk for a a minute about, you know, the difficulty of scraping a little more money here and there from the few taxes that we do have and trying to make that uh, make a significant impact in the budget. I, that's a, a great it's a great question and I um, I appreciate that you know Charles is trying to be constructive and suggest uh, some you know some modest revenue measures that we could adopt that could help us fund really important needs our motor fuels tax hasn't been updated since it was introduced in 1970 it is three years older than me and I have adult children so it's pretty old at this point in time and it, it's time to update it representative Andy Josephson has a bill to do just that Um you know, we could do a modest increase in alcohol taxes, and that could help us deal with the cost of uh, alcohol abuse and misuse in the state of Alaska, which is about, you know, uh, about $1.3 billion. But we couldn't tax $1.3 billion worth of, uh, uh, you know, we couldn't raise that much money in an alcohol tax. And when we're talking about the size of the fiscal gap, you know, uh, with uh, if we were to essentially passed the same dividend as we passed uh, in last year, um, then we would, of about $1,000, then we would have about an $800 million fiscal gap, maybe $900 million. Um, And we would need to pass a broad-based revenue measure, something like uh, a, uh, something like a, you know, a two or 3% income tax and a modest oil tax measure in order to fill in that gap. Um, and there's, uh, you know, a few different revenue measures that have been introduced that could fill that gap. Um, but there's no way of doing it without uh, without passing a broad-based revenue measure. And, you know, just a, another sort of, you know, scale issue, the cost of the full statutory PFD of, of $3.4 billion dollars or, or, sorry, of uh, of thirty five hundred dollars would cost us, as I said earlier, about two point two five billion dollars, and that's more than the state of Alaska spends on public education in the entire state and on Medicaid in total. 
So it's, you know, the size of the budget is really significant, but this is a solvable problem. And I want to be really clear about that. This is totally a solvable problem. If we are to, we were to update the, uh, the permanent fund dividend formula to say, you know, provide for a thousand dollar PFD moving forward. And we were to pass a modest change to the per barrel oil tax credit, which would raise a couple hundred million dollars. And we were to pass a broad-based revenue measure. My personal preference is for a progressive income tax because I think it allows Alaskans to contribute according to their means and it balances out the regressivity of a permanent fund dividend cut um, that could raise, you know, another, uh, you know, five to six hundred million dollars. We've then filled our fiscal gap and we have a sustainable fiscal plan moving forward that provides us the fiscal certainty that we need as well as you know, our constitutionally required services for the to provide the public edu- public education, health and safety of Alaskans. My last question for you before we take a quick break, and then we're going to uh, thanks so much for your time, Representative Ivy Sponholtz. Um, and then at 1030, we're going to switch over to our other guests, Ian Lang and Juanetta Ayers. Do you think the 5% of market value plan would be the best protection for the long-term sustainability of the permanent fund, or is it too late? And now the percent needs to be lower in order for the fund to to stabilize and continue to grow at the rate that it needs to. You know, uh, we actually passed House Joint Resolution 1 out of the House Ways and Means Committee. It's sponsored by Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins, who has been, you know, a very strong advocate for constitutionally protecting the percent of market value uh, draw and uh, out of the House Ways and Means Committee a few weeks ago. It does, the modeling looks like we can afford 5% moving forward. It would be a more conservative approach to take 4%. That certainly is the model that, you know, endowments at universities and community foundations across the country uh, are utilizing. And that, you know, helps to sort of uh, ensure that the fund grows moving forward. But we also need to make sure that there is enough funds to be able to pay for government services and a, a decrease from NPFDs and a decrease from, you know, 5% to 4% is, you know, a couple hundred million dollars every year uh, for uh, both dividends and the operating budget. And given that the permanent fund, looking at their modeling, our legislative financial analysts, they'd say that 5% is a reasonable uh, protection for the permanent fund. But I do think that hands down, the single most important thing that we need to do to preserve our our fiscal future for the state of Alaska is to constitutionally protect the percent of market value um, so that that is hard in the Constitution so that we don't run the risk of spending down that the earnings reserve account, which is about $17 billion in it, as is being proposed by the governor. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. That was Representative Ivy Sponholtz, who is a Democrat from Anchorage and who joined us for the first half of today's program on the budget, the permanent fund, and the best way forward for Alaska's fiscal future. We were hoping to be joined by Senator Mike Schauer, a Republican from Wasilla, but he was apparently called into a budget meeting with the governor and could not join us. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll bring on some new guests to talk about the best plan for the future as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. 
How does the sale of a land parcel help support criminal justice reentry programs in Alaska? The Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority has a responsibility to generate revenue from its land assets and the resources they contain. The trust uses the revenue from its land to fund programs that directly impact the lives and circumstances of Alaskans with mental health conditions and disabilities, including criminal justice reentry programs. Learn more at alaskamentalhealthtrust.org. This message sponsored by the Alaska Mental Health Trust. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're discussing the budget, the permanent fund, and the best way forward for Alaska's fiscal stability into the future. We just heard from Representative Ivy Sponholtz, a Democrat from Anchorage, had hoped to hear from Senator Mike Schauer, Republican from Wasilla, but he could not join us. Right now, we are joined by Ian Lang, who is the executive director of the Institute of the North. Hello, Ian. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being on. And also, Juanetta Ayers is with Commonwealth North. Juanetta, hello. Hi, Lori. Thanks for having me on the program today. Thank you so much, Juanetta. And and I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name earlier. Please excuse me. Uh, And Juanetta is also the executive director of Commonwealth North. So, um, Juanetta... Tell us uh, about Commonwealth North's work as it relates to examining state fiscal policy and what your organization would like to see happen to resolve the standoff over the future of the permanent fund and permanent fund dividends. Thanks, Lori. Um, Commonwealth North is a uh, bipartisan public policy forum. It was actually founded by two former governors, uh, Governor Bill Egan and, and Governor Walter Hickel, and has been around for more than 40 years. And as part of uh, our role at the Public Policy Forum, um, we've looked at state budget issues for many years. And uh, the permanent fund and the state budget have been a focus of our fiscal policy study group. Uh, We've published a number of reports, um, really more than a half dozen specifically on the permanent fund itself. Uh, really calling for rational approaches to uh, management and preservation of the fund. Um, we are, uh, the organization is uh, in agreement uh, with many of the comments that you heard from Representative Sponholtz that um, we support the use of permanent fund earnings to address the state's revenue shortfalls and maintaining a dividend program to advance long-term, long-term stability of uh, the uh, state's fiscal future as well as our state's economy. Uh, but that being said, uh, the organization has also, through the study group process, inviting in thought leaders and um, folks who are well-informed on these issues, that we also need to take rational approaches Um, Much like the trustees for the uh, Permanent Fund Corporation themselves, we believe in a rules-based management uh, structure to help ensure the stability of the fund. 
and a, uh, a constitutionalizing the POMV would certainly be uh, a measure in, in that direction. And uh, I think I'll leave it there for you. All right. Well, thank you for starting us off with that um, snapshot of the work of Commonwealth North and the folks that you work with. Ian, for listeners unfamiliar with the Institute of the North, what's the Institute's purpose and mission? And then describe what you think is needed to stabilize Alaska's fiscal future. You bet. Uh, The Institute actually shares some heritage with Commonwealth North and that we were founded by Governor Hickel and have been around for quite some time. Our mission is really focused on helping to ensure that we do the very most with the resources that we hold in common. And the reason that we're involved in this fiscal discussion is because one of those resources is very much at risk today. And I'm referring, of course, to the permanent fund, which was always intended as this vehicle for converting non-renewable resources into renewable wealth for all generations. And the threat to the fund is very much, it's very real because that is, I don't mean to be too hyperbolic about it, but that is Alaska's fiscal plan right now is to spend down the permanent fund. And it's not something that any one person wants, but it's the path of least resistance or the the default because Alaska's fiscal politics are uniquely complicated. You know, in other states, you have this sort of binary relationship between government services and revenues. And Alaska is has this other factor, the dividend, that has complicated things. And so year after year after year, what we've seen is the hard work of legislators like Representative Sponholds trying to develop a comprehensive fiscal plan. But what has happened uh, over the last seven, eight years consistently is that we get high centered and we default to the path of least resistance, which is to spend savings. And that hasn't been good, but we've now reached a point where the only place to go is to start spending beyond what anybody would consider sustainable from the permanent fund. And that comes with enormous consequences, both for ourselves and for future generations. And that's what's gotten us into this debate is that we consider ourselves advocates for the largest unrepresented constituency here, and that's all future generations to come, to, uh, who have every bit as much right to the permanent fund as an asset as you and I do. And so the idea that we would overspend it is just not really acceptable to us. Not to mention, it's just not in anybody's financial interests. Because if we do that, and you've asked about this earlier, it will absolutely result in some combination of higher taxes, greater service reductions, or elimination of dividends. And we all have maybe our dream combo of what we would prefer, but we don't have control over that. In aggregate, the result, the net result, will be worse for everybody. All right. Thank you, Ian Lane. That was Ian Lane with the Institute of the North. We also heard from Juanetta Ayers uh, with Commonwealth North. You can join our conversation at 1-800-478-8255 if you have ideas or concerns that you'd like to discuss about the budget and the best way forward for the state and the future of the permanent fund and the permanent fund dividend. 1-800-478-8255 in Anchorage. The local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. We're going to go to the phones for a moment. Lynette is in Anchorage. Hello, Lynette. Hello. 
Hi. Um, I wanted to make a suggestion, and I would like to see the legalized gambling in the state of Alaska. Um, I do gamble, and I travel out of state to Washington or Las Vegas. A lot of us do because, it, you know, we only have the bingo halls and then the Minana Ice Classic. And I know that it would generate a lot of monies. Um, the ones that don't want it are the charitable gaming, and they got a big org- organization because they get the monies off of uh, the bingo halls and stuff So, and the pull tabs. But uh, I know that that's a lot of money. And to legalize gambling, um, you know, that uh, the state is looking at such a big uh you know, downfall in our economy. Um, I sat on the Ted Stevens International Working Group out there years ago, and I actually suggested when they were asking how to, uh, you know, for ideas of uh, economy, you know, to improve the economy out there at the airport, I suggested open the North Terminal part of it to legalize gambling, you know, and uh, they didn't like that too well. Um, but you know what? It it wouldn't. I mean, it would help. That's what I think. So that's my suggestion, and I stand by it. I'm political, and I do stand by it. Thank you very much. All right, Lynette. Thank you so much for the call. If you have questions or comments or ideas, such as Lynette offered, you can also join us at one eight hundred four seven eight eight two five five. That's statewide one eight hundred four seven eight. 8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550 8422. 8422. So let's uh, ask our guests um, what they think about that. Uh, Juanetta and Ian, what are your thoughts about these ideas that we've seen now? A couple of them. Uh, one person suggested raising the alcohol tax and the fuel tax. Um, Lynette has just suggested uh, an idea to legalize gambling. Do you see these kinds of suggestions as viable for raising the kind of revenue that we would need to replace what we're seeing as far as gaps in our current revenue? Well, it's it's all a matter of scale, right? And I, I think both of those suggestions are worthy of discussion within the context of getting a comprehensive fiscal plan in place. Um, I think if you look at the projections for revenue measures like gambling or uh, alcohol tax or motor fuel tax, they're, they're drop-in-the-bucket type solutions. And I don't mean to downplay them, but they, they don't take big bites out of the, ro- the gap that we need to fill. Um, the other thing that I'd, I'd like to highlight is that we've been having this debate for seven or eight years now, right, talking about, well, what does a comprehensive fiscal plan look like? And we've talked a lot about what that looks like, but not how to get there. And the position of the Institute is that this constitutional amendment that has been uh, in discussion, and that would just simply convert the fund to a constitutional endowment, is uh, not only well-established policy, but also good strategy in that we look at it as the single best strategy for driving resolution of this full fiscal plan, because one of the things that happens when you put this amendment on the ballot and we put it in place in 2023, you say, that creates a deadline where we have said, 
past this point, we're no longer going to allow unstructured spending from the earnings reserve. We're going to treat the fund sustainably. And that deadline, just like any business negotiation, is what's going to drive resolution of this larger fiscal plan. And we, we believe that that deadline is critical to getting the whole problem resolved. So if we can get this amendment in place, take that first step that everybody agrees on, and that has the, the added benefit of helping us to drive forward these other conversations. And Juanetta, I, I want to hear your thoughts on um, these ideas that we've heard earlier in the program. Um, as I referenced uh, before, alcohol tax, fuel tax, uh, and then the suggestion that we legalize gambling. It, it reminds me of before um, cannabis was legalized in the state and having programs, as Ian said, we've been having this discussion for many years now. And in previous discussions on the budget before the legalization of cannabis and so many people would say just legalize marijuana and it'll just drive in so much money into the budget and i think that there's somewhat of a disconnect between millions and billions when we're talking and as we've seen there is you know a healthy amount of of tax revenue coming in from the cannabis industry but nothing that's going to close this gap so what are your thoughts about these ideas and of course we want people to come up with ideas and don't want to shoot them down but um, talk a little bit about how you see this well thanks Lori. Uh, actually commonwealth north has been engaged in a project the last uh, six to nine months called alaska budget choices and we basically put a budget calculator calculator online at akbudget.com. And we asked Alaskans to go in and grapple with balancing the budget. So it's very easy. If if you ask me a question, do I want to pay more taxes? No, I don't want to pay more taxes. And if you ask me if I want a dividend check in my mailbox or in my bank account every year, yes, I want that. But if you have to grapple with the same questions that our legislature has to grapple with, Will your choices be different? And so we've asked Alaskans to do that. Uh, we did include options for um, a gaming uh, option, and that included either draw games, um, draw on instant games, or a combination of draw instant and video lottery terminals. All of those three options really do generate a relatively modest amount of, of money between $8 million and $135 million. Now, saying that that's a modest amount of money is somewhat comical, but remember that we have, at, at a minimum, a $1.3 billion structural imbalance in our budget, and that's about uh, $1,800 per Alaskan. If, if it uh, were uh, with a big dividend payout, that would be uh, more than doubled. So, 30, like, say, $3,600 per Alaskan. So um, I do think that a comprehensive budget solution does require looking at all options. But um, many of the tools that we have in our toolbox, like gaming and lotteries, are really just nibbling at our problem. The fuel tax, for example, was another option that we gave Alaskans to grapple with in this uh, uh, comprehensive budget solution. And again, we said increasing them the, the uh, fuel tax anywhere from 15% to 50%, so um, nearly doubling it. And again, that generated between $6 million and $22 million uh, in increased uh, tax revenues. So the tools in our toolbox are um, not 
always sufficient to fill the gaps that we have in our budget. Um, and, you know, we provided Alaskans with uh, a number. We had uh, 13 spending options at which they could increase or de- decrease and about an equal number of uh, revenue options to, again, increase or, de- or decrease. And pretty much across the board, what they were saying with spending was that they were looking for uh, a status quo or very modest decreases in limited areas. Um, and when it came to revenues, Um, They were uh, a bit more circumspect about uh, how to raise that money um, through other taxes. All right. We have an uh, an email from a listener who says, when I first moved to Alaska, we all paid state income tax. Now our state is hurting financially, and it pains me that we do not have an income tax to help fund the services and structures we use and need. I would be happy to contribute. I have a little income from two other states. I pay those states' taxes. It doesn't seem fair that folks from other states make money here and pay nothing to support the state that contributes to their livelihood. Um, This person goes on to write, Governor Jay Hammond was right when he recommended that we keep a small income tax because it would be incredibly hard to reinstate. And uh, we see that debate playing out now and have for the last several years. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll bring on more callers and uh, visit more with our guests, Ian Lang and Juanetta Ayers, as Talk of Alaska continues. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Reading colors your world. This summer, help the children in your life develop lifelong habits and a love of reading by signing up for your local library's summer reading program. They'll stay engaged with literacy and learning activities, track their progress all summer long, and can even earn prizes. Visit your local library's website for more information. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We have Ian Lang, the Executive Director of the Institute of the North, and Juanetta Ayers, Executive Director of Commonwealth North, on the line with us. And we're going to continue talking with them. But right now, let's bring Jeff from Whittier on to hear his ideas about the best way forward. Hi, Jeff. Hi. What's your plan for fiscal stability? Well, my first comment was just on the permanent fund. Um, it's had uh, a historically great management with uh, sustainable payouts. Um, I just think a 50-50 split between the state and us would be fair and would do nothing but grow over time. If you look at the historical records of what the fun, how the fund performs with proper management. And then... Uh, uh, a sales tax and a modest income tax would uh, fill the gap. I think those three things together might be uh, a rational option. All right, Jeff, we'll, we'll get uh, feedback from our guests on your ideas in just a moment. Thank you so much for the call. But let's go first to Travis in Palmer and hear what Travis has to say first. Hi, Travis. Hey, good morning. I agree with Jeff that... Um, modest income tax and uh, maybe a seasonal sales tax and uh, tax on second homes, a higher property tax on second homes are all things that I'd like to hear 
or things that I'd like to see happen uh, to offset our state's budget. I think the the caller with the email about all the people from our state that are making their living here and then going home and not paying income tax up here on it is also a, a real valid point as well. All right. Thank you, Travis, for the call. And uh, I want to turn back now to Ian and Juanetta. And um, before you reflect on the ideas that were just put forward by Alaskans, I love it that people are thinking about this and trying to come up with viable solutions. But yesterday, the Alaska Policy Forum released a report titled, It's Time for a Responsible Alaska Budget. The authors want appropriations for fiscal year 2022 to stay under $6.18 billion and say the best way to do this is to revise the state spending cap through adding an annual inflation adjustment to overall population growth. Authors say budgets since 2006 have been unsustainable and the cap would prevent the state from spending more than is sustainable. Now, I realize that maybe neither one of you have had a chance to see this, but what do you think about this concept, adjustment for inflation and population growth as the budget roadmap for the future? Juanetta, start us off here. Well, Lori, we do have a a spending cap in place, but it's uh, functionally not um, a, a cap at all. And I think that there's some widespread agreement that some kind of uh, spending cap um, is uh, uh, perhaps necessary. I don't want to respond to the specific proposal um, that you referenced uh, without having seen it. Um, that said, I, I think that there are also some other appro- um, approaches that might need to be considered um, that uh, may be address both revenue and spending holistically as opposed to just the spending side of the equation. And, and going back to what the callers were saying about uh, a 50-50 plan, um, maybe a seasonal sales tax, an income tax, what are your thoughts about those? And, and also, do you think that the 5% of market value plan would be the best protection for long-term sustainability, or is it too late? And now the percent needs to be lower in order for the fund to continue to grow. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but let me just start with, um, with our Alaska Budget Choices Project overwhelmingly what Alaskans were saying to us. I mean, we had over 2,100 Alaskans respond at this point. Um, The vast majority of responses said, uh, hold the payout to the same amount that we had last year, so $1,000. The next highest category was uh, suspend the dividends for now until we can afford to pay more. And uh, combined, those two categories were uh, more than three quarters of all responses. So I appreciate that there's uh, folks there that want to um, return to the prior formula or to, um, you know, have even more extreme approaches to dividend payouts. Uh, what I will say is that I think that there's a whole population of Alaskans that maybe we don't hear from in the public discourse on a regular basis. And so we tend to focus on um, more um, 
more different ends of the spectrum as opposed Mm -hmm. to the great middle. And uh, that's what I would say those folks probably represent. All right. Um, And we only have a couple of minutes left here. I want to get Ian back in. Ian, do you have any thoughts about the Alaska Policy Forum report, Um, if you've had a chance to look at that at all? Or uh, as we were just discussing, the percent of market value plan, where where should we end up here? I've not looked at the Alaska Policy Forum's uh, report. There's been a lot of discussion about uh, revising the constitutional spending limit that we have in the Constitution today. Um, We're open to that, but it in and of itself doesn't fix the problem. This this is something we could debate more, but the constitutional amendment that we're contemplating here, which would convert the fund to an endowment, is a spending limit. just limits spending from the permanent fund to a a sustainable amount, 5%. It's actually less than that because the way it's calculated, it's on a a rolling average. And so it ends up being the effective rate is somewhere between four and a quarter, 4.6% of the fund's value. And uh, the vast amount of research that's been done over the years um, all support that as an acceptable rate. Uh, It's been the consistent recommendation of the Permanent Fund Board of Trustees for over 20 years. Every major fiscal planning commission this state has ever had has recommended this approach. Almost 40 pieces of legislation trying to get this amendment in place have been introduced over the years. But the policy is solid. Uh, It just hasn't needed to pass until now. And like I said, I think this is the single thing that we need to focus our attention on because we've been immersed in this very complicated debate talking about uh, fuel taxes and alcohol taxes and income taxes, all these other things. There will be a time for that, but we can't let the permanent fund become collateral damage, which is what will happen if we don't all take this first step to put this one constitutional amendment on the ballot during this next cycle. And do you think, uh, we only have about less than a minute left here, but when you're talking to Alaskans, do you think that people um, see that in the same way? Or do they... Do they think, hey, we've got you know more than fifty billion dollars in the permanent fund, and and uh, so just figure it out. And I want my permanent fund dividend, and I don't want to be taxed. What what do you hear most often from Alaskans that you're talking to? Well, I think on the surface of it, the vast majority of Alaskans believe that the permanent fund needs to be used sustainably. That it is an asset for all generations of Alaskans. What it comes down to is a question of form. Mm. And within that amendment, how do we treat the dividend? And um, that's possibly the subject of another discussion later. Absolutely. And Juanetta, in just about 30 seconds, your thoughts? Yeah, I think overwhelmingly what Alaskans were telling us with the Alaska Budget Choices Project is to uh, stick with the uh, payout formula uh, for a sustainable future for Alaska to not uh, spend today and and uh, thunder our future by overspending the POMV. All right. So I think Alaskans are speaking loudly on that. All right. Thank you so much to Ian Lang, Executive Director of Institute of the North, and Juanetta Ayers, the Executive Director of Commonwealth North. 
Thanks to our producer, Adlin Baxter, our engineer, Dave Emmerts, and on the phones and social media today, Abby Collins. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.